up for just a second. You know, we're singing about the never-ending love of God. There's no mountain he won't climb up. There's no shadow he can't find us in. There's, there's no darkness anywhere that he can't find us. It doesn't matter how far we've gone. It doesn't matter where we are in this world. It doesn't matter how low we've sunk. His love is borderless. His love is there for us. It crosses every boundary. Do we believe that this morning? And, and so as we're thinking about this moment together, we need to realize that we're not, we're not doing this as just something we're doing. We are following after a Savior. You know, these last three weeks have been about this. It's been about looking beyond our borders, not just the borders of America, but the borders of our heart, these borders that we place in our heart, these limits of love where we're saying, hey, I'm not going this far. And God is wanting to come in as we're singing this song together and awaken this idea that, no, our heart, our love for people, our love for this world should be just as great, just as strong, just as unlimited as his. And he has set the standard for us by dying on a cross for us, by crossing every boundary and every border on our behalf. And so this morning, I want to start the same way we've started every morning this series I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. We're not even going to have the band move during this point because I, I just I want us to focus in right now in this moment for just a second. And, you know, each, each morning we've started with just this simple idea, this simple prayer where we just open our hands. If you, if you feel comfortable doing that, just open your hands up, just palms up right now. And we're saying to God, everything all of our hopes, all of our dreams, our children, our families, our spouses, our resources, the money we have, the house we own, our career, we just wanna put all of that in our hands right now, open-handed. And we're just gonna ask God, Lord, whatever you need to take, whatever you need, it's all yours. So Jesus, right now in this moment, we pray, Lord, that we would be open-handed this morning that everything that's been given to us, every relationship, every resource, every advantage, every career, every single thing that we have, Lord, it is yours and we are holding out our hands, not closed-fisted, but God open-handed saying, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you want, if you want our money, it's yours. If you want our time, it's yours. If you want our career, it's yours. If you want our lives. God, they are yours. Our children are yours. Our spouses are yours. God, we want to hold open our hands this morning and just proclaim that, Lord. And so, God, in this moment, I pray, Lord, that as we're proclaiming that, Lord, you would open our hearts as we have our hands open right now, and you would speak to us to what it is that you want from us, and that we would be obedient and faithful to letting go of the things that you've graciously given us for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, as you kind of already figured out, we're doing things a little different this morning. Uh, we have an incredible opportunity to hear about some amazing things that are happening. Every, every morning we've had together has been pretty exciting. Have you guys enjoyed the last two weeks already? Amen? Yeah. If you missed last week, man, that was an incredible, incredible moment. But we are so glad you're here with us this morning. 
Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Uh, like I said, this morning looks a little different. So this is going to be kind of abbreviated, uh, which I know if you've ever heard me before, you're thinking there's no way you're going to be abbreviated. I'm going to try my best, okay? Uh, but Matthew chapter 25, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is in his last week here on earth. And he is with the disciples. He is up on the Mount of Olives and he is overlooking Jerusalem. And he is talking about the end of the world. He's talking about the end times to come. And he says in verse 31, when the Son of Man, and anytime you see Son of Man, most of you guys know this, but if you don't know this, Son of Man is a reference to Jesus. So he's talking about himself here. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Jesus is telling his disciples here about the future judgment that's coming. This, this moment in time where he's separating the people out. This moment where the separation begins, the judgment happens. And he says in verse 33, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, again, we're not talking about sheep or goats. This is a parable. He's telling us something about the end times here. He will say, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Why do they get this inheritance? Why are they blessed by God the father? It says it right here in verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And in this story here, as Jesus is telling us here about what's gonna happen in the future, we, we realize that the people in this story at the judgment are bewildered as to how loving and honoring Jesus has anything to do with what he just said. Look at what they say in verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus, in this passage, he is connecting love and honor for him to love and honor for others. Did you notice that nowhere in this passage it talks about the frequency of our quiet time? Nowhere in this passage does it talk about prayer times or church attendance. These things are definitely all throughout Scripture. But notice in this passage what he does. Jesus doesn't create a list of super spiritual tasks here. There's no super spiritual list of tasks here. No, he connects love and affection for him to hunger to thirst, to homelessness, to nakedness, to sickness, to bondage. All these words, all these things that we think about can be summed up into this one word. He connects love and affection for him to poverty, to poverty. This passage is but a drop 
in the bucket on verses talking about poverty in the Bible. That Jesus and the prophets and all kinds of places in Scripture talk about this. In fact, there are over 2,000 verses in Scripture dealing with how we treat people in poverty. That's a, it's a big deal to God. It's not just something we just read casually over. No, we have an active part in playing, an active responsibility in playing into what we are doing with this issue of poverty. So for just a moment this morning, I want us to do something a, a little weird. And, and I just want you to kind of imagine this, this with me for just a minute. I want us to step outside of America this morning. I want us to step outside of America. I want you to step outside of the home you live in right now, the home that's probably set at a comfortable temperature right now. I want you to step outside of that home. I want you to step outside of the food and the resources you have this morning. And I want you to step outside of the salvation that God has granted you. I just want you to imagine, obviously you're not losing these things right now. I just want you to imagine what life would be like if you had none of that stuff right now in this moment. Imagine living on less than $2 a day. $2, I've got $2. Actually, I've got Keith's Bible verse right here. Mr. Keith always gives me those every, every Sunday. $2. Over half of the world lives on less than this a day. Eight quarters right here, $2. Over half the world lives like that. We were in a village in, in Guatemala, and this is an actual picture. I didn't pull this off Google image search or anything like that. I took this picture right here. This is in a trash dump, and this family right here lives right here in the trash dump. And every day, their job, from the oldest man in the and he's not in this picture because he's out working, from the oldest man to the smallest child, their job is when stuff comes into the dump, they go sifting through it. And they are literally, people are fighting over trash. They are fighting over finding something to eat that day or something they can sell to eat that day. Resources, less than $2 a day. Over half the population of the world, less than $2. Or imagine being one of the 27 million slaves in the world right now. 27 million, that's more slaves than any other time in history. Right now, 27 million being sold into slavery for all kinds of reasons, for labor, for immorality, for all kinds of reasons. Anything that that master, anything that that trafficker wants, he uses these slaves for. And the sad thing about that 27 million is many, many, many of them are children. Whole families in slavery, pieced out. Mom and dad separated, children separated. That there right now, every single year, over 1.2 million children every single year are being trafficked into slavery. And, and they are going, they are being sold for less than, many of them are being sold for as little as $30. The price of a person is equated to about 30 bucks. That's less than what these shoes cost me. Or imagine, for just a minute, imagine having a son or a daughter that dies because of hunger, thirst, or preventable disease. 
that every day for many people, the sole purpose of life every day is just to find food. That is the only thing on their agenda, right? There's no TV, there's no Netflix, there's no sports, there's no job. It's literally just let me see if I can find some food today to feed my family. Over half the world. Can you imagine spending your entire day just looking for food? That's all you're doing is looking for food. To put this in perspective, Time Magazine did a study on what the world eats all around the world. And this is actually what they found. The average American family of four, this is what they consume in a week. This is just, this is right off of Time Magazine's article. They had pictures of families. This is the average American family of four. This is what they consume in a week. And most of you can relate to that. Your pantries probably look very similar to this. But the next picture shows what the average family of five consume in rural Africa. That this is what the average family consumes. You see some rice there, you see some beans, and this is their world. And the majority of the kitchen tables all over the world look more like this. This is it. That there are one billion people in the world right now that do not have enough to eat to sustain them But it's not just food, it's water as well. Many of the men will go out into the villages, but many of the women and children, young children, that their job, get this, up to 20 hours, the average is 20 hours a week looking for water, walking seven miles a day. That's the average. And this is what they're doing. They're going and they're finding somewhere to fill up these cans, these heavy cans. These are heavy cans when they're filled up, to walk back, to walk back miles to their home. And the saddest part about this is that all this work, all this stuff that they're doing, for the majority of it is absolutely wasted because the water is filled with diseases. The very water that they're drinking for life is the very water that's killing them. And many of these places, they don't even know it. Think about what we do for clean water. In about 20 seconds, I could literally right here walk back and just push that bar right there on that machine, right there in the hallway, and I've got water that's not going to make me sick. I can drink it till my heart's content. I can go to almost almost any restaurant here in town and get water free just like that. And I'm not gonna get sick. And because of water, being diseased because of preventable diseases, diseases that could be cured with a $2 pill or hunger. Because of that, we have on estimate right now 30,000 children a day that die because of one of these issues. 30,000. We have a Mother's Morning Out preschool that that goes on Monday through Thursday to kind of put this in perspective because it's easy to lose track of numbers. The number we have over there If we took that number and we filled that up and we blew that place up, we exploded that place and killed every child over there and then we filled it up again and again and again. Every six six minutes, if we did that, preschool full of children blowing up, every six minutes refilling it. That's the number we're talking about here and this is happening every single day. 30,000 children a day. Even worse than that, though, 
Imagine right now with me being one of the 2.8 billion people that will be born, that will live, and that will die in their village never hearing the name of Jesus Christ, never getting an opportunity to hear that name. When I look When I look at this passage here in Matthew 25 and I see this connection that Jesus makes about loving him and loving others, about really, truly, if we want to honor him, we're going to be taking care of these people over here. And I see the stuff, all the stuff I just mentioned, all the stuff that we're sitting here imagining what our lives could just as easily have been like. When I think about that, it really causes me to think this question. What am I doing with my life? What am I doing? This this question hit me so hard a few years ago. And and I I told you about this two weeks ago where God really just got a hold of me and my wife Crystal and and started to really speak into our lives about this idea of, you know, the tithe is incredible and and we want to be obedient in that for the church. But we we just got tired of just standing behind the church and clapping for what they do. We, We wanted to do something ourselves. And so God awaken Crystal and I to an opportunity to impact change on a very personal level and to bring our family, not just for me and Crystal, to bring our entire family, our young children involved in this process. So we were introduced to Compassion International and we began to sponsor Anando from Bangladesh and Nikhil from India. These are two children that we had that we began to sponsor. And this sponsorship costed us about $38 a month per kid. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I don't know if you're like this, because some of you are already thinking, man, I feel like I'm watching a commercial on TV right now. I know, okay? I get that. I understand the language sounds very similar to that. And I'll just be honest, I was very skeptical starting this process out because we were introduced to Compassion. I thought to myself, there's, there's no way this money actually goes to this kid. This kid's just an auto-generated kid on a piece of paper or something. There's no way this is, this is real. And the more I researched what compassion was about, man, the more God began to change our hearts. I learned that Compassion International is the largest child rescue organization in the world, and it serves over 1.9 million children and families. This is a company, a ministry of integrity. I had looked online, their financial records are sitting right there. If you really want to know, you know, some of these organizations, they give to, you know, like 10% goes to the kid or whatever. Like literally 8% goes to administrative salaries. 8%, that's it. And the rest of the money goes to the children or the fundraising that, that's done in order for more children to be sponsored. That when you support a child, this is what you're giving the child through compassion. You're giving them food. You're giving them meals. You know that, that, that 30,000, you're preventing that. You're giving them clean water. You're giving them medical care, preventative, as well as things that that if they need help, they get help. You're giving them an education. You're giving them important life skills training. You're not just handing them off a bunch of stuff. You're saying, hey, we want to help you learn to take care of yourself, to self-sustain. But the greatest thing that you're giving them through compassion is you are giving them Jesus Christ. You are giving them the opportunity to hear about Jesus some, some of these kids would never have that moment, never have that opportunity. You are giving them the opportunity. And this is all done partnered with local churches. 
that local churches get to be a part of that. And that these children that you have the opportunity to sponsor are up to 80% more likely to graduate college. Did you just hear that? That's crazy. It increases their chances by up to 80%, up to 70% more likely to become leaders in their community and in their churches. That this opportunity that we've been given is a church planning opportunity. How do I say that? I say it because of this. We are literally, compassion is literally raising up children that become adults and become leaders in their community and in the churches right there in those villages. An opportunity for us to see the gospel grow leaps and bounds. But the beauty of this ministry is it doesn't just change that child and that child's family. That's amazing. But you know what? That's more than that. It, it changed me. It changed my family. It's changed my children. That God made clear this new vision for our family that these children were going to be our family's personal ministry, that we weren't going to stand behind the church anymore and clap for what the church is doing. We were going to get out front and we were going to say, these children are our children. And our children, my my biological children, they're going to know what this is about. This is going to be their ministry. So we began with Nikhil from India and Ananda from Bangladesh And as God added to our family, he laid on our heart to add more children to our family as well. These are our children right here. Nikhil from India, Anando from Bangladesh, that's Mosey from Rwanda. Mosey literally has the exact day, like to the day of my third son, Zion. They're literally the exact same age. And then Arizal from the Dominican Republic. And these are the children we support as a family. And we've had the opportunity not just to throw money at these kids, not just to throw money at this family. We've had the opportunity to get in behind and to get letters from these children. We, we know these kids. We know what's going on in their lives. They know what's going on in our lives. We've been able to send letters to them, these tangible reminders that God has not forgotten about them. That God has a name. His name is Jesus and that Jesus loves every single one of these kids. And it wasn't just something that me and Crystal know. Our kids have engaged in this process. My boys barely know their brothers' names. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. They do. But you want to know something? I could bring them in here. They're going to be in here at 11. I could bring them in here, and they could tell you every single one of those kids. You know why? Because just out of the overflow, they're praying for these kids. About every night, almost every night, there's all kinds of crazy stuff in our prayers, right? There's like help, help Joe's dog and all this other stuff. But you want to know something? Almost every night, we never, we never have to prompt them to do this. Almost every night, my, my, my little Zion, my four-year-old, can pronounce all their names. And he prays for them almost every night. What is that doing in the heart of a child? What is that doing in the life and in the dynamics of a family? So my goal this morning, as we talk about this, my goal is not to lead you somewhere that I haven't been myself. I'm not up here to do this to just kind of say, hey, look at what the Glisson family's doing. That's not what this is about. But I, don't, I feel as a leader, you can't just request something from people and, and ask something from people that they, as a leader, haven't done themselves. 
And so I just wanted to put this out there this morning. We want to reflect God's faithfulness in our life, that God's relentless love that we just sang about in three songs, we sang about that. We proclaim that with our words. We want to reflect the generosity that we have received at the cross of Christ, that we as a people would be the most generous people in Shelby. That, that, that's what our goal is as, as Christians. We should be the most generous people in our community. And this morning, you have an opportunity to do that right here, right now, in just a minute. We have out in your seats, you have them there, they're packets. And we're gonna talk about those more in a minute, but I wanna tell you a little bit. We have four focus countries that we are really wanting to sponsor children from this morning. We wanna sponsor children from Guatemala, and it's right there on the left. You can see our map here. The red uh, countries <laughs> represent where they're at in the world. We want to sponsor, sponsor Guatemala. We want to do some stuff, uh, sponsor some children in Colombia. We want to rescue. That's awesome, Sarah. Thank you for doing that. I didn't know she could do that. Uh, we want to rescue ch children from Ethiopia. Quint was just there uh, last year. We want to rescue, ch rescue children from there. And we want to rescue children from Thailand. That's right there in the 1040 window, right there where people have never heard of Jesus. To do more than just pray for these countries and the children, we want to rescue children. And we don't want to do it tomorrow. We want to do it right here and right now. And today, this is the exciting part. Today, we wanted to do more than just talk about compassion. We wanted to show you proof that it works. So this is crazy. I can't even believe we're able to do this. But this week, uh, we have had an opportunity to have the compassion experience. And we had this morning proof that compassion works. Uh, and this is amazing. He's come all the way from Nairobi, Kenya. We've actually done ministry in Nairobi, Kenya. Our, their flag is right here, this one right here. We've done work right there in Nairobi and this man of God that's coming this morning, this is the coolest part about it. In the Compassion Experience, he's one of the stories that's actually represented right there in the room. So if you have went through Jay's story, and if you're going in today, you can go in after. But this is amazing. We get to have him here with us today. Will you please welcome with me Jay Biro? Amen. Yes, sir. Thank you. Well, pray, praise the Lord. I'm so excited to be here. As you can tell, I'm even speechless. And uh, 
thank you so much for that. Like, he really spoke from his heart. And for me just to come here is just to let you know that everything that he said, I approve that message. <laughs> the pictures that w were shown before about uh, kids, that how families eat and what they have for the rest of the... Uh, I want to start my time because... <laughs> I want to make sure that I don't waste your time. He showed the pictures of uh, what families get, what they eat, a family of four, and there was a family in Africa and what they have. That's exactly what I used to have. In Kenya, one of our main food is uh, rice and beans. And I grew up in a place called Matare. And Matare is one of the poorest places that we have in the world, literally. A kid born out of my community, if it's a boy who was always expected to be a thief, if it was a girl, so they always expected to be a prostitute. So they used to say that nothing good can come out of Matare. And I remember when I was born, my mom, just like any other parent, she wanted us to have a decent life. Who does not want their kids to have a decent life? But she didn't go to school. She never had a decent life. But she was trying to see, can my kids have that? And even though she tried and she did everything possible, it was not easy. Sometimes I remember she'd tell us, like, she should have, like, a few shillings. And sometimes she had to make a decision. Am I going to take my kids to school or am I going to feed them? And the easiest decision is, like, I'm just going to try and feed them. And so most of the time, when we have something to eat, we'd all be happy and rejoice and eat. But there are those times where we didn't have anything. One of our staple food in Kenya is called ugali. Ugali is made out of corn flour which you just boil water and then put corn flour and stir it. It's very solid. You eat that with kale. And like, the, like we're told, actually a dollar. At that time, one dollar was enough to feed like a family of ten. But that was not easy to come by. One of the hardest things is having that water boiling, hoping that you're going to get flour to make ugali, and the water boils until it evaporates because you didn't have anything. And so for me, I was like, what am I going to do when I come into this house? I'm hoping I'm going to get something to eat. One thing you have to realize is that kids don't know they are poor. Most of the children that are born in these poor families, they don't realize they're poor. And so just like any other kid, you're coming into the house and you have expectations. I'm going to have something to eat. But then you walk into the room and it becomes obvious. Today there's nothing. Tomorrow there's nothing. One day you'll find something small. And that becomes a norm. I've been here in the U.S. for like eight, uh, actually for like nine years now. And I know if there's something we have in the U.S. is food. And it's a lot of it, which is a blessing. There's nothing wrong with that. But then let us not forget that beyond the border, there's some people that is not a luxury. That was part of my story. And I remember when... My mom could not even provide for us food when she could not get shoes and clothes, when she could not give us a decent life. And she saw herself as a failure and she thought that she does not even deserve to be in this world. And my mom attempted suicide. Thank God she didn't die. But I'm going to tell you there's so many families who their parents or somebody end up committing suicide because they see the life they have and they see how hopeless it is and they prefer not to live in this life. I remember we... Uh, ended up going to the streets of Nairobi together, me, my mom, and my twin brothers. They were so little. But we were going to the streets, and I was going to beg because everybody in my community has expected me to be a thief, and I didn't want to be a thief. So I, st I thought, if I go to beg, that might be better. 
Nairobi is not a big city, and so I could beg for only so long. At some point when I wouldn't get anything, I started being frustrated. And whenever I would beg something from the street, I'd go home and I would, feel my, I would feed my whole family. And they were all waiting for me to go and get something. I was just eight years old. So I started being, feeding my family at that young, young age. And so whenever I'd go home with something, they'd all be happy and would eat and would sleep. But then when I beg and I didn't find anything, I'd go home and they'll all be disappointed. But then I didn't want to disappoint them. So I thought if I don't find anything while begging, I have to find it somehow. And so I joined another group of young people and we started stealing. In Kenya, that happens a lot. A lot of young people who are stealing, and they're not stealing because they want to. It's because they're desperate. And so we'd go, snatch something, run away, go sell it, and take the money home. My family did not know that I was stealing. But then let me tell you what happens when you're stealing. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can either be shot. The police had an order of shoot to kill. There's something we call the mob justice, which when you're stealing, the mob can get a hold of you and they can stone you. They can hit you with whatever they have. And lastly, they will put a tie around your neck and they'll burn you. It doesn't matter how old you are. I've seen a lot of my friends being killed that way. I've seen a lot of my friends being shot. And one day, my brother was actually being stoned. My older brother was also a thief. And he was being stoned almost to death. But thank God he didn't die. I was lucky and blessed because I didn't get stoned. I didn't get shot. But I find myself in prison at the age of nine. And it was one, it was one of those days when I was stealing and I was not lucky because they caught up with me. And I remember going to prison and that's probably my darkest moment in life. I remember meeting other kids there who, they've been in and out, and that was their life. And I didn't want that life. I had seen a lot of kids in the same prison dying, and some of them being sick, and nobody would take care of them. And I started asking myself, what happened? How did I end up being in this place? How did I end up being in this family? Because I was thinking, if I was born in another family, probably in the U.S., Canada, or somewhere else, I will probably not be in the same position. I didn't know how to get out of prison because the other way to get out was to have money or to have a family member who is influential. And I didn't have none of that. But thank God that Kenya is a, we have freedom of worship. And that, what that means is that uh, you walk to the streets of Nairobi, you'll hear a preacher preaching. And they'll say, Jesus loves you. So whether you like it or not, you're going to hear the message. And many other times I didn't even told, know that I, I even heard what they were saying until I was in my darkest moment. And that's when I knelt down right there in prison and I called unto God. I'm like, God, please take me out of this prison and take me out of poverty. But God being God, he's so faithful and he did it. I got out of prison. I was so happy. I was excited. But just for a moment, because I went back to the same neighborhood. I went back to the same place that didn't have anything. The same place that was hopeless. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm probably going to end up back in prison. But then God has his own ways. And God's ways are not our ways. I probably was thinking God is going to come in a different way. In a, in a way that I knew for sure it's going to be this way. But came, God came in a different way. And he came through an organization called Compassion International. And I'm glad that we are all part of this. I'm glad that we, we have the mobile experience. I'm glad that we can see all these big banners saying Compassion International. But let me tell you about the organization. 
when they go to the poor of the poorest, because they go to the literally the poor of the poorest, they go to the poor community, and then they try and figure out who is it that they really, really need this. And when they go there, they don't go there as compassion. They go there as a local church. They partner with a local church. They empower that local church, and that church becomes a light in that community. And so we don't even know that it's compassion doing this. We know it's a church, which is the coolest thing. And so all of us wanted to be part of this program. We wanted to be part of this church. Every family knew that if your kid got an opportunity to join this program, their lives are going to be different. And so one day, it was my day, and I got selected to join the program. And I was so happy, and I was excited. And when you join the program, the first thing they do is to take a picture, they make a packet with a little story of who you are, and that packet goes around. Now, while you're in the program, they're still taking care of you. You're still going to school. You're still getting all these benefits while you wait for your sponsor. So these kids that you see here, all these packets are real kids who are in the program, who are waiting to be sponsored. And so I was one of those who I was waiting to hear my name being called. Because one thing, when you, Monday through Friday, you go to school. Saturday, you go to the Compassion Center. The whole day, we sing, we dance. You feel for once you're a normal child. But towards the end of the day, towards the end of the day, one of our favorite moments was to sit down and hear our names being called when you have a new sponsor. And so when you, have, when you pick a kid right now and they get sponsored at their home countries, at their compassion project, they're going to be called, hey, like this guy is uh, Dagim, something like that. Dajim, he's going to hear his name. He's going to be told, hey, you have a new sponsor. So I was one of those kids who waited for a long time. He's a priority as well. When you see priority, it means they've been waiting for a long time. And I remember I, we, I used to wait and hear my name being called, and we used to cross our fingers when they would read out names. We were waiting to hear, is this the day that I'm going to hear my name being called? And many of the times that that didn't happen to me. Everybody else would be sponsored, but I wasn't getting picked. I don't know why. Until I came here and I realized when people go to the table, they look for the cutest kid, the ones that, you know, they look, the, they look good, and I don't think I was one of those. <laughs> Until not to everybody, but at least to one person who finally picked my packet. A family in California, they picked my packet, and they sponsored me. And I don't know what that meant to them. I don't know what it would mean to you when you pick this packet and say, it's $38, I'm going to pick this packet and sponsor. I don't know what that will do to you, and I don't know what that did to my sponsors. But let me tell you what it did to me. Yes, they saved and rescued me from poverty. But without knowing, they rescued my, ki my daughter. I have a daughter right now. If I was born in poverty, if I still ended up living there, I would have probably have my kid in the same community. And so in other words, they did not just snatch me. They snatched me and my daughter and every other kid that I'm going to come with. And so when you sponsor a kid, you're, just, you're not just sponsoring one kid. You're sponsoring a community. You're helping people who would not have had an opportunity. And that meant everything to me. Now, when we're in the program, we eat a lot of food. I love to eat food. As you can see, I'm not a small boy. We used to eat a lot of food. You get a lot of shoes. Like, life starts making sense. But all these things come to an end. The project will come to an end, like me being in the project. But then what are the things that I came out of the program with? What are the tangible things that even right now I have with me? One of them was love. The first time I heard the words, I love you, was from my sponsor. 
when you write these letters back and forth, they want to hear from you. I wanted to hear from my sponsors what they had to say. I wanted to hear, how is the U.S.? And also I wanted to tell them how Africa is. But when they said that they loved me, that was the first time that I had that word. It meant everything to me. The second thing that I got from compassion is education. I was able to go to school. Even though my mom and some of my brothers were not able to go to school, Compassion made sure that everything that pertains to school, be it school uniform, be it tuition fee, they, all, they took care of that. And that is the second thing. The third, it's what the pastor mentioned, is that you get to give them an opportunity to hear about Jesus. Now, let me tell you, you can give people everything in this world, but nothing satisfies as Jesus. The Bible says that heaven and earth will pass, but my word will remain. You know, when you give me money, you give me a house, it will come to an end. But Jesus will always be there. You see, the Bible, when you're in poverty, there's a lot of voices that are telling you you're poor. There are a lot of voices telling you you can never make it. We were like in this bubble, like we thought nobody cares about us. We're not going to make it in life. And all these voices are surrounding us. But then the moment you give me Jesus, the moment you give me the word of God, it says that I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. And so all these negative things that I used to hear, I don't hear them anymore because I have Jesus and I have the word of God. If you don't sponsor these children for any other reason, just because they can be able to hear about Jesus, that's it. That's all the reason that you need to know. We can show you all these pictures and all these statistics of what's happening. But just think about it. We are here in church to hear the word of God. And so if you can give another child an opportunity to hear about Jesus, why would you not do that? And for me right now, I went back to Kenya. I go back to Kenya at least once a year. And every time I go back, I try and look for my friends that I grew up with. And most of them, they are either in prison or they are dead. And so this program, it saved my life, literally. I'll probably be dead or in prison, but somebody took a chance. And I know sometimes most of us have to sacrifice because I live here, like I said, I've been here for some time, and I know there's something called bills in America, and you have to plan yourself. And I've met people who they are like, you know what, I'll give up gym, I'll give up this, so that I can rescue a kid. This morning I met uh, Caroline, who has been sponsoring from uh, sixth grade. And now she's 18 and she sponsors four. And I'm like, if she can do it, all of us can do it. And I know, like I said, it takes a sacrifice. But just think of this. If you are in my shoes, if you are living in my community, if you are living in Mathare, if you didn't have anything to eat, just think about that for a moment. And I was sitting in your seat. What would you expect me to do? Let's do the same. Compassion, rescue kids from poverty, not for any other reason. So that they can rescue them from poverty and not for any other, for other name, but just through the name of Jesus. And when you rescue, when you do this, you're going to rescue kids and you're going to give them an opportunity in life, just like I was given. And that's why I'm alive right now. Thank you so much, and God bless you. Thank you.
Come here, Jay. I want to ask you a question real quick. I, one of the things that really spoke to me when you were talking is you were saying um, that you had been waiting for some time. And I know you were a child when this happened, but how long do you think you, you had to wait as far as, like, before you were sponsored? Maybe close to a year. A year. Yeah. And wow. you go to Compassion Center every Saturday, so you can imagine every Saturday you're going and your name is not being called, other kids have been called, and your name is not being called. So it's wow. close to a year, but it sounded like forever. Uh, well, and a year for a child is ages, right? Correct, yes. Wow. Well, Jay Biro, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks this is so such much. an honor. Can we give him one more hand? Man, that was awesome. Thank you, brother. So when you're faced with a need like this, you have two, two ways you can go. You can make a difference or you can make an excuse. You know, right there around you, probably in every other seat, there's a child in your seat. I want you to go ahead and grab that packet. I want you to look at it for just a second. I want you to look at the face of that child right there in front of you. That this is a divine appointment. This is not just some random thing that we threw out. In fact, every single one of these cards that was placed out here today was prayed over before they were placed out. That some of our church people got together and we prayed for every name, every, every person in here, not every name, but every card in here we prayed for, that they would be sponsored, that they would be rescued. And the name, the person, that child that's right in front of you, that is a divine appointment. And you can either make an excuse or you can make a difference. And we have a goal this weekend. We want to see hundreds of children be sponsored this weekend. I know that's a big goal. And it's going to honestly, it's going to probably take every family in here to reach that goal. And honestly, I know this, this sounds kind of maybe a little insensitive, but I have seen how this works. And I really believe that the majority of people, if not everyone in here can sponsor or rescue a child today. I'm reminded of Caroline. She was in the, the paper this week and, and Jay just made reference to her. She's back there. I know you don't like this, Caroline. Can you just raise your hand for me real quick? She's one of our table volunteers today. In sixth grade, she changed what I thought was possible because a sixth grader with no sustainable income steps out on faith and says, I'm going to rescue a child in sixth grade with no sustainable income. But she worked hard. She found babysitting jobs. She found all kinds of opportunities to take care of her child. And today she's 18. She has four children that she sponsors, that she rescues. I think about that and I think, man, what in the world could be an excuse if a sixth grader can do that? And, and, and I know, you know, that that's kind of harsh and it's not about making you feel guilty today. It's about making us feel thankful. Thankful of, first of all, what all that we have received and also the opportunity. This isn't a burden. This is a privilege to be firsthand involved in the life of a child today. And some families in here, I, I, I know you're, you, where you're at. I know some of you, you're thinking, I've already got a kid. I'm good. Maybe today the Lord's saying, hey, today the day to sponsor your second, your third, your fourth. Our family today, me and my wife have prayed about this, and we feel led to, to, to take on another. And I, I'll just be honest, that kind of stuff used to stress me out. And then I, and it's not that I'm blind to what our budget looks like, but here's what I realized. I realized how little it actually cost me to rescue a child. 
that it literally is just one family meal at fats a month that we sacrifice. One meal where we say, you know what, let's just go eat leftovers so we can rescue a child. Or it's half the cost of the 23rd pair of shoes that you've got in your closet. That we have an opportunity today and we don't want to miss, miss it. So whatever your situation is today, let's not make an excuse. Let's make a difference today. That you today will rescue someone. You will be the rescuer and that you will introduce them to the ultimate rescue, Jesus Christ. And in just a few weeks, something amazing is going to happen. In just a few weeks, they are going to hear that they've been sponsored. And this is what that scene is going to look like.
So what are you waiting for today? Will you carry the name of Jesus to these children and to these nations? I want to introduce, this is Scott Limerick. He is the regional director for Compassion in our area. He actually just got back from Thailand last night, which is one of our focus countries. And he's going to share with us on what we need to do at this point to rescue children. Thank you, Jonathan. And I actually kind of feel like I'm at home because covering the seven southeastern states, they told me I could live in any state that I wanted to and anywhere. And we live in Shelby now. Isn't that crazy? Um, So thank you for your time. This is kind of like Jerry Maguire, the movie, right? You had me at hello. You're you're like, just tell me what to do. Hey, Wanda. Um, Here's how easy this is. In your seat is the packet. And when you take that out of the plastic, it's, in, it's one piece in three sections, okay? The top part is about your child. Tells you their name, date of birth. On the back, it tells you a little bit more about their family and the region that they live. The middle part gives you a general idea of the basic things the $38 a month covers that you're doing, okay? You keep those top two parts. Here's all we need you to do. You can go ahead and start working on this if you want to. Take the bottom piece, tear that off, Write your name, uh, the information on one side, and on the other side, tell us how you want to pay for your child or your children, right? Um, You're looking at someone who is a huge skeptic of this whole thing. So if you have questions about this, if you're still like, I don't know, you need to come and see me because you cannot have more questions about it than I had. Um, The next time we have a Compassion Weekend, I'll I'll share some of how God changed me from Saul to Paul about compassion, but it's crazy. It was through my son that I became a believer. Now my wife and I are rescuing five kids, and we came home from Thailand just to be with you, and how amazing is it that one of your focus countries is Thailand? If you have a business and you want to rescue more than one child, what we're asking you to do is to just take the child that's in your seat. Some of you don't have a packet. We're gonna ask you when, when we release you to just walk around till you find all the packets that you need. If you can't find a packet, in your handout today is an overflow card. You can fill that out and take that to one of the tables here. I'm going to ask the the table volunteers to raise their hands so you can see the tables. They're at the two exits, and they're up front, okay? So we're going to ask you, if you would, to let this be a divine appointment. The child that's in your seat is your child. If you need more than one child, just start walking around or come to the tables and you can fill out that bottom form. In about two to four weeks, you'll receive a welcome packet telling you about your child and and telling your child that they are now able to tell someone that the wait is over for them as well. Okay, it's as simple as that. If you have questions, feel free to come see us. What I want to encourage you to do is not This is going to sound crazy. I'm a pastor, so I can say some things. Don't pray about this. What? Seriously. Like, do you really think God's going to tell you not to rescue a child from poverty? I mean, I want to say that, so forgive me if that's so bold, but I've been a Christian now for over 40 years, and I've learned that we Christians have some ways that we do things to get out of making a difference, and I'm going to ask you not to do that today. No one is on commission at Compassion. Jonathan, maybe? No, he's not either. Um, We do want to rescue 200 kids from poverty today. And I'm telling you, we could run out of packets in this first worship. We could do that. It's as simple as that. Can I just pray? And then let's just release what we're holding on to, to God, so he can use us today. God, I just bow before you again. I'm so thankful that you rescued me. This crazy life that I was in, a fatherless home, um, 
a white kid in, in the black community that didn't know who his father was, and yet you reached down into that and rescued me. And then who knew but you that years later you'd be using me to rescue others? And that's what you want to do with every person in this room now. Pleasant City Baptist Church. I just, I love this church already. Um, I love that so many people have already come to us and said, I can't wait to rescue a child today. I pray that you move in our hearts to rescue children today, not just one, but one is great. You change the world one child at a time and you change us the same way. What an incredible story uh, that Jay has told and that Jonathan has told of how you've changed lives on both sides of the ocean because so many times we don't realize we're wealthy till we leave Shelby in this area. And we don't realize we're poverty stricken in these other countries. But when we kind of go over the ocean and we help, we help each other in our own needs. And I just love that. So let us today be bold. I pray that you'll let some people in this room today give you a chance to show them what you'll do with their finances if we'll rescue children. We love you, God. Thanks for using us to do your work. It's an honor. In your name I pray, amen. So the band's just gonna keep playing. We're not singing, right? They may sing for us a little bit, but we're just gonna ask you to start responding. We're here. If you have any questions, you feel free to come forward, but we ask you to respond today. Change one, two, three, four, five children's lives before you leave, and we'll still beat the Methodists to the, to the buffet, right? We'll still do that, so let's do this. Thank you. God bless you. How merciful the cross And how powerful the blood how beautiful your arms open for us, open for us. No greater love, God's only Son, Jesus, Jesus, no other name. Mighty to save Jesus, Jesus, and by your wounds we are healed, and you have conquered the grave, and in your rising we will 